Happy holidays, everybody. What I want to talk to you about with this video? Well, it's the opposite of never be mean to someone who could hurt you by doing nothing. And I know we don't mean to be mean, but here in the holiday season, especially, what I'm talking about here is how easy it is to come off as mean when all we are is frustrated, especially the customer service people. Quick story. My mom, my mom, she's here visiting me right after Thanksgiving. She's here for the holidays. She's taken the time to let her credit card companies know that she's going to be out of town and to accept charges from outside of her area. And lo and behold, her credit card starts getting rejected. Now, this is really frustrating for her because she's gone through this before. And they said, well, call and tell your credit card company in advance, which she did. So now she's worried about being here in Los Angeles, visiting me, not being able to buy me breakfast, not being able to take care of her little boy and uh, buy him food. And what's going on here is she's really frustrated. And I'm sitting next to her in a restaurant, and she's kind of, she's expressing her displeasure to a customer service person. And, and you know what? And lo and behold, in a few short minutes, she hangs up, and they've offered to send her a letter to her house authorizing the charges, and they won't let her use her card until then. Now, this is absurd. A letter to her house, she's not even there. How's she going to handle this? She's seeing her credit card being shut down for the entire duration of the visit, which, again, doesn't make her happy. She makes a second call. It doesn't go that well the second time. What happens the second time? Well, she expresses her frustration again to somebody who's like a battered child because they've been getting beaten all day by customers that are unhappy. And lo and behold, the second customer service rep says, well, I see our first person you talk to is going to send a letter to your house and uh, I can't do anything else. So this is a classic example of people who were already having a tough day through no fault of my mom's. And she calls them on the phone just expressing her displeasure and she's being completely misunderstood and they are not helping her. I get her on the phone. The next day, we sit down. I say, Mom, we're going to be nice. We're going to go out of our way to be nice. And, you know, our nice is we go with the uh, Black Swan's accusation audit. And I, we call a customer service rep. And I'm kind of wondering, what is this going to sound like? I mean, it's definitely going to sound like this woman's been kidnapped because there's a guy sitting next to her coaching her through the phone call on the speaker. But I suppose the customer service rep keeps hearing me say, Mom... Be nice. Be nice, Mom. And she kind of gathers that this is a legitimate call. But we start out and I just say, hey, look, you know, I know we're giving you a hard time. We're crazy. You know, we're, we're so demanding. You know, I do the accusations audit with this woman, which to us seems one way. But the other side loves it. In short order, this young lady with customer service on the other side it's like, yeah, you know, I see you're calling from a cell phone that you've got. We've had it on record forever, you know, and I'll unblock these charges. So in the holiday spirit, in the holiday season especially, think about being extra nice. We feel like it's extra nice. And the customer service reps, everybody else, you know, they think we're just being civil. But go a little extra this holiday season. Have an amazing time. Use negotiation techniques to make the people around you, the people in your life, happier. Happy holidays. Now we come to what we call our Jedi mind trick. So an accusations audit is the thing that reaches in someone's brain and flips a switch. So what you're doing with an audit is you are proactively addressing all the negative emotions because people come to every difficult conversation and every negotiation 
with emotions because we are inherently emotional as what human beings are. And you can say you're not feeling emotion about something, but you do. You can't stop that emotion from being involved. So when you're using an accusation audit, you are taking every negative thing that the other side can possibly be thinking about you and you are mitigating it. You're putting it out there first. The thing about it is, it doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter if it's fair or unfair to you. It's what they could possibly be thinking. It's not your perception of the situation. It's your basically hypothesis of what the other side is thinking. So if you remember, you know, high school, you did lab sciences and you were forced to come up with a hypothesis and then you had to prove it wrong or not. So this is what we're doing with an accusations audit. We're coming up with a hypothesis of this, all the negative things they could be thinking on their side. We're putting them in our accusation audit form. You may, you might, you probably, and we're putting them out there first. So this also is going to address anything that you may want to deny. So if someone was walking down the street and they were, they were talking negative about you and expressing all their, their negative feelings about you, what would they be saying? Those are things that you probably want to deny. Those are things you need to address. What an accusations audit does is it helps you point out the elephant in the room before it completely destroys your conversation. Because if you leave it there, everybody knows it's there. No one's pointing it out. It's trampling all over everything. Because until you mitigate whatever that emotion is, it's going to stay in that person's mind. And if that emotion stays in their mind, they can't have an open head to listen to what you have to say. A lot of people are really uncomfortable with these things because it's like, taking a big old spotlight and shining it right on yourself and putting all of your negative stuff out there, airing your dirty laundry, throwing yourself under the bus, all those different things I've been used to, have been used to describe what an accusations audit does. But seriously, what you're doing is you're taking away permission from the other side to use things against you. So it's going to recognize the negatives that the other side is thinking, and it's going to prevent them from using it against you later. It's going to clear the mind of the other side because you've now demonstrated that you understand all the negative things they're bringing to the table. And they're going to be shocked because who comes to the table and starts talking negative things about themselves? The thing is, you're not going to introduce that negative thing if they don't already feel that way. It's not like you're going to say, um, oh gosh, I didn't thought about that, but now you know what? I feel negative about that. That's not what's going to happen. You cannot introduce a negative. They either feel it or they don't. And by pointing it out, you're mitigating it. Okay. It's going to build trust quickly because you're, you're throwing yourself under the bus. You're essentially telling them all the negative qualities here and you're being open and honest about it. So it builds trust really, really quickly. It also helps set the expectations of the other side. Because when you use an accusation audit, whatever you're saying, if you're saying, you may feel like we're too expensive. When you say that, their mind goes to worst case scenario. If they were hoping to get a certain price and you say that, they're going, oh my gosh, it's going to be way too high for us. So they were thinking, okay, well, you know, we want to stick around 100 to 150,000. And when they hear that, they go, oh my gosh, they're going to be asking for half a million dollars. Fear sets in because fear drives behavior and drives emotions. So when you say you're going to find this too expensive, they go, oh my God, it's going to be a half a million dollars. So you, you get through all your audits. And when it comes time to make your pitch or your ask, because you don't explain these at the time that you say them, 
when it comes time for you to make your pitch or your ask, the dollar amount that comes out of your mouth is $200,000, they feel relieved. Even though it's higher than what they wanted to pay, you set their expectation for it to be so much higher that when you say a higher number than what they even want, they say, thought she was going to go up to 500000 but it's only two hundred. We can deal with that. Even though it's higher than what you wanted to do, it could have been so much higher. So you're setting those expectations. Um, one of the things I like to use to explain this, I worked sex crimes for the last 11 or 12 years of my career, and we were having trouble getting prosecutions of cases because people didn't like our victims. Um, quite frankly, rape is a crime that people don't like to convict on because in, in a way it makes them admit that the boogeyman is out there and that this could happen to them, but it could happen to anybody. So they don't like to convict. They like to find a reason not to convict because then it makes them feel safer. So when you're going into court and you have a victim that you know got drunk and then went home with a guy that she really didn't even know and then this awful thing happens to her, the jury uses that as an excuse not to convict because it's her fault. Victim blaming is still alive and well in the United States, I promise you. But the one way we went forward and started winning some of these cases was in the opening arguments, all the prosecuting attorney talked about was, you are not going to like this victim. You are going to believe that this assault was her fault. You're going to wonder, why did she get drunk and go home with this guy? All those negative things. And the jury is sitting there going, oh my gosh, she's pointing out all these negative things. And the defense attorney is over there going, holy crap, they're ruining our case. Because all of the negative things are being introduced by the prosecution, meaning the defense can't come back later and use it against them because the wind has already been taken out of their sails. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair. You get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. Everything is already out there now. So they can't use it against them later because the prosecution is not trying to hide it. They're literally putting it right out there. So if you're going into a difficult conversation or a negotiation, you are attempting to hide things on your side that the other side is probably already going to think, don't do it. Put it out there. This is one of the hardest skills to use because it's really hard for people to, to put all their negative junk out in front of people. It, it, it doesn't feel right. It feels counterproductive. It feels awful. It feels icky. But once you learn how to do it and make it work for you, you'll wonder how you lived without it because you're mitigating all the negative. Okay. So why these things? Because it demonstrates self-awareness on your part by the fact that you are aware of all these negative things the other side is feeling. So it lets them know that, that you are aware of yourself enough to know that these negative things are in their mind. And a lot of people can't do that, won't do that. It also gives you freedom to say whatever you want without any kind of a fear of a negative reaction. Because if you say to someone, when you're delivering bad news, because that's one of the times when you use this, you're going to be really upset with me. You're going to wonder how in the world you decided to do business with me in the first place. And then you pause, hang your head for dramatic effect. And then you look up and you say, we're not going to have those deliver, deliver, there's a word I can't say. We're not going to have those deliverables you need until a week past the deadline. Once again, you've set expectations by telling them how awful they're going to feel and how mad they're going to be. And so they're thinking, what is going on? And then a one week deadline really seems less than what they were thinking in their head because you sent them to worst case scenario.
not to mention you just threw yourself under the bus and said how mad they were going to be and how horrible you are and you shouldn't have done this this way and whatever else you need to say. And then they feel sorry for you because you've just bashed yourself. So they're not going to add to that. This is also a great way to get rid of those things that people might have that are preconceived against you. Um, if they think you may be too assertive, if they think that you may be too emotional, you can label this with an accusation audit at the very beginning. You may think that I'm going to come across very harsh. You may feel like I'm being very emotional about this. And you mitigate those things. Because when you say that, it takes it out of their head. If they were thinking it, it gets rid of it because you've already acknowledged it. Okay, so this is really important too because a lot of times, depending on who you're dealing with, if you've got a, a cutthroat procurement person on the other side of the table from you and you know, you're, you're trying to deal with them, they're automatically going to think they have this woman on the phone who they can walk all over who is going to be really, really emotional and they don't really want to deal with this. And so if you put that out there, they're going to go, hmm, okay. And they're going to kind of wonder, okay, well, maybe I was wrong about this person. So you can actually subvert all those negative things they may be thinking about you to start with. This also softens the conversation. So especially when you're delivering bad news, um, the, the example I use in all the basic classes is if someone from your house, your spouse calls you and says, hey, you know, I need to stop by and pick up this, this, and this on the way home. I need it, you know, for dinner tonight. And you forget it. And you pull into the driveway and you go, oh, jeez, I forgot to go by the store and get this, this, and this. So when you go in the house and you say, you're going to be so mad at me. You're going to think I'm so irresponsible. You're just going to think that I don't care what you're doing here at home. And then you hang your head, once again, dramatic effect, and you say, I forgot to pick up the milk. And then you have bashed yourself so hard that they're going to feel bad bashing you on top of that. And they're going to say, oh, it's okay. Even though it's probably not okay, you didn't come in and say, I brought the milk. And basically, I'm not going back out and getting it. So that kind of attitude is going to cause a fight. But if you come in and say, I'm so horrible, I'm so terrible, I did this. And then they're going to go, oh, it's okay. I promise you, try it. It's amazing that it works. And people, all the time that I coach privately, they will say, I can't believe that worked. You told me this was going to work. I went and did it. And oh my God, it worked. It does. Accusations, audits are amazing. Okay. Davey, Barbara, anything you want to add to that? Um, no, she's right. I, I, I use it to ask if you want to go out to dinner. And I know I can ask any time, but I want it to practice. And when you when you start off with, uh, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think that I, I just don't even know what I'm talking about. And by the time I got to the ask, he's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Was, Do you want to go to dinner? Sure, let's go. He's relieved because he thought I was going to say something or start an argument. He's relieved that it was only... I want to go to dinner. So it, it helps to get those practice that what we call low stake pra practice in with your family. Mm -hmm. So it, it really does help, especially with the skill that's awkward to use in the first place. Yes, this is awkward to use. David, did you want to add anything to that? I think that's great. Awesome. Any chat things we need to deal with before we move on to Davy's favorite? Um, no, <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm just, um, gonna give a little bit more info on how to use an email, but in the chat, um, okay. actually the only thing that I will say to accusations audits, um, is it, it really helps with that whole, um, kind of what we were or what got brought up earlier, um, just in the chat of, okay, how are we going to still be firm, but tactful? 
right? Essentially that it's like, we're always walking this line as women of, okay, how can we make sure that people listen to us and, um, and that we're not getting walked all over, but, um, that, you know, we're not going to get labeled. Is it okay to that we're not going to get labeled a bitch, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's a fine line that we're walking. Um, accusations audit is magic for that absolute magic. And this is coming from someone who I am scared of disappointing people <laughs> deeply. Um, and so, you know, I talk a big talk, but then actually at the end of the day, I, I don't ever want to upset people. Um, and this has been just a game changer for me. So instead of feeling scared of, you know, like I have to deliver bad news to someone, someone's going to be mad that this is happening. Um, the accusations audit just helps you with all of that because you're just able to express, I understand what this, what the impact is and what that's going to be for you. You set them up for it. Um, and then suddenly you're not having to walk this fine line anymore. You're creating a lot more space for yourself um, to be able to deliver the bad news that you have to deliver, right? It's not up to you. Um, and so anyway, I just think the accusations audit is magical. It gives you so much more space as a woman than what you feel like you have a lot of times. Yeah, it does. It is one of those skills that makes you feel very, very powerful because you are setting expectations on the other side and you are kind of disarming them by pointing out all the negative things that then they can't use against you later. So it, it is one of the best skills actually for women. I have a question. Okay, go ahead, Rebecca. Uh, my question is, um, can you just give some examples? Uh, I work in, in, uh, in the banking industry. So can you use some examples of how these techniques would work in a situation where um, you're trying to convince somebody to bring more money or invest more money or, um, or uh, part with their resources? <laughs> part with their resources. Um, an accusation audit is going to be amazing for you. So mm -hmm. think about all the negative reasons why they wouldn't want to invest more, all the negative reasons why they might be afraid to invest more because fear of loss is something that has to be gotten over before they can see opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are people afraid to lose when they're bringing you money to invest? Mm -hmm. the money. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you need to think about all the negative things. That can be. Um, you may feel like this is high risk. You may feel as if you won't get enough return on this. And remember, when you use an accusations audit, you're not explaining it at the time that you're using it. You're just putting it out there to mitigate it. Yeah. Think about the court, the court example. We didn't explain any of those things. We just threw all that negative out there. And then when it comes time to actually do the case and put on their side of the case, that's when they're explaining things. So when you're talking to someone, start out at the very beginning with accusations audits, letting them know you understand all the negative things they're thinking about when it comes to bringing you money. Okay. Okay. And then don't explain why they don't have to worry about that. Just say that. And then when you start talking with them about options and things that they can do, that's when you're going to explain the audits away so that they feel more comfortable because you can't get there with them. Anything logical you're talking about until you mitigate that negative. And by acknowledging it, you're mitigating it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, if I can just add something real quick to that Absolutely. is... The, um, yeah, parting with their resources, that's, um, <laughs> that's a tough thing to do, right? So, um, 
what you really want to build is trust. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they're not going to do that if they don't trust you. Mm -hmm. And um, people say there's a lot of different theories out there of how you can build trust quickly and how you can build rapport. Mm -hmm. Just nothing is going to be as valuable as them feeling understood by you. Mm -hmm. because I'm sure that, I mean, this is probably part of the accusations audit too, right? That, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I'm just one of the, one of the hundreds of people out here asking for your money. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we're going to get more personal, like I'm sure that it feels really uh, strange to be reached out to all the time Mm -hmm. for money in this way, you know, and that it can feel really impersonal Mm -hmm. and, um, even maybe jarring, right? Like that you can use, you can use things like that, right? Of, okay, how do I actually think they're feeling and what they're experiencing? And then once, if you can get, cause I'm sure a lot of it is trying to get in front of them in the first place. Yeah. But once you can get in front of them, truly the labels mirror summary is just a magic combination because once they're speaking enough to you, And if you're able to summarize any, even something along those lines, right. Mm -hmm. That it's like, you've worked so hard for your money. um, You don't want to just throw it away. Mm -hmm. You want to put it somewhere valuable. And that's a really difficult task to figure out who is going to take care of that for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like being able to express something like that. I mean, would just build trust in a really magical way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a great question. It was a great question. Can I ask you a question about that? Um, on This is D. Um, on accusation audits, when you say, you probably think, I don't know what I'm talking about, and all I want to do is make a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So you you throw your audits out there. How do you transition to your point? Because you can't say, you're not supposed to say, I don't want you to think that I don't know what I'm doing. You're supposed to say, you probably think, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Correct. You can't contradict it when you say, you probably think I don't know what I'm doing, but... Blah, 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 blah. How do you transition from that? All right. So great question. Um, Let me talk about the butt first. Okay. The butt erases everything that came before. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is another way to deny the negative. To your actual question, how do you transition? They're going to tell you how to transition. When you are aggressive and go um, go all in on your accusations audits, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to stop you and say, A, we weren't thinking those things, or B, let's move on. We've got, we've got other stuff to do. We've got other things to talk about. Either way, you're in a good spot because the conversation is now transitioning into where you want it to go anyway, and it's not your idea. Okay. It's their idea. So as you're throwing out your accusations audits, you're just waiting for them to stop you. Now, having said that, if they don't stop you, there may be a problem. 
if they if you've gotten to the end of your list of accusations audits and they're still staring at you and they haven't responded there's something else you're missing something and so your your job then is just to label that dynamic it seems like whatever you were thinking is a lot worse than I anticipated. And that'll get them to flush out what else is it that they're, they're still concerned about. But the general sequencing is going to be accusations audit. You're looking for feedback from them, um, but you, you may not get it. You, they may just, you may not get anything verbal from them, but that's not the purpose of the accusations audit. The accusations audit is just to, um, from the get-go, show them that you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about them, what they're going through, what they perceive, their perspective. And that, there's no clearer way. When you point a negative light back at yourself like that, you know how much courage that takes? And what is that, what is that, how does that translate, or how does that trans, how's that transmitted to the person with whom you're doing it? They're looking at you like you're a unicorn, like you are something out of the ordinary, because who does that? And you are proactively, preemptively labeling things that they have not said. And it makes you look like a mind reader. How much more can you convince somebody that you are dialed into them to the nth degree than for you to start labeling things that they have not spoken yet. And so that's why we are so aggressive with our execution of the accusations audits at the beginning of the conversation, because it sets the tone. It tells them right off the bat, this is not about me. This is about you. And so to transition out of it, you let them do it for you. Okay. Accusations audit. This, folks, is a game changer. This is, this is the Jedi mind trick of the Black Swan group. It is amazing. Okay, so what you're doing when you use an accusations audit is you're proactively addressing those negative emotions. So anything that the person on the other side of the table could think about you that is possibly negative, you're going to put it out there first. Okay. Whether it's fair or unfair, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. If they could possibly be thinking about thinking that about you, then you are going to tell them up front, you know, they're thinking that because then what that does is it kind of takes the power away from them to use that against you later on in the conversation, because you've already pointed it out. They don't have to point it out or they're not going to use it against you in any way because you've already thrown it out there. All right. Um, it also addresses anything you might want to deny. So instead of saying, I don't want you to think I'm being mean, but because when you hear that from somebody, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? They're about to be mean. So you don't want to say that you're, you're, you're denying it right up front. So this, instead of saying that you're going to say, you may think I'm being mean. Then you're not saying, I don't want you to think I'm being mean because that's basically screwing it up. But if you say, you're going to think I'm being mean, you're basically telling them what they're going to think. And they're going, oh, okay. Once again, I said before, it's a preemptive label. 
okay? But you're basically kind of labeling yourself because you're putting all of your own negatives out there. Um, you may, you might, you probably is how it's set up. And don't freak out because you're saying all these negative things about yourself. It doesn't mean that if the negative is not already thought by them that you're going to introduce it. That's not how it works, okay? If they're not already thinking it, you're not going to plant the thought in their head. That's not how it works. This stuff is magic, all right? Say you, you're supposed to pick up something on the way home and you forget to get it. And so you get home and your spouse says, hey, did you get the milk? And you're like, oh. And you're thinking in your head, oh, shit, I forgot the milk. But you're going to say, oh, my gosh, you're going to be so mad at me. You're just going to think I'm the most irresponsible person. You're going to say, I forgot the milk. Well, you already just told them what they were going to think. So you took the ammunition out of their your wind out of their sails. They're not going to use that against you now because you already told them that they know. And they're going to go, oh. And they might be disappointed, but they're not going to be like, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you forgot the milk. They're not going to be upset because you already pointed out the negative. Okay. Dave, anything you want to say about that before we? I think you covered it. Awesome. Okay. So what do accusations audits do? They recognize those negatives up front. They keep somebody from using that against you later in the conversation. They also clear that person's mind because you're telling them all the negative things you already know that they think so they can actually let go of it at that point because you've already pointed it out. So now they're not focused on that anymore. Because of that, it builds trust very quickly because you are demonstrating to the other side how self-aware you are. You know that there are negative things and you are being nice enough to point it out for the other side and mitigate it from their brain. All right. They think, wow, okay, well, she knows. She knows that I'm thinking that or feeling that. So they're not going to think of you as being sneaky or trying to hide something because you're literally pointing out all the negatives at the beginning of the conversation. It also helps to regulate the, the, the other side's expectations. When you give someone an accusations audit, whatever you're saying to them, whatever you're getting ready to introduce to them, they automatically think worst case scenario. You're going to be so mad at me. And they're going, oh my God, what did you do? Worst case scenario is coming to mind. You know, you wrecked the car or you, you, know, you did something horrible and I'm going to have to be worried about this. And then when you say, I forgot the milk, they're going to go, oh, shoo, thought you were going to tell me you wrecked the car or something. So it raises the expectation, sends their mind to worst case scenario. And then when you say what it really is, and it's so much better than what they, where their mind went, it actually calms them down. They're actually like relieved because then they don't have to worry about the fact that you wrecked the car because that's where their, their, their thought pattern went is that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pay thousands of dollars to get the car fixed. And you're like, I forgot the milk. And then they're like, oh, okay. That's okay. I can deal with that. Um, why? I kind of said some of this already. It does demonstrate awareness, your awareness. It also demonstrates awareness of the other side because you're aware that they have negative feelings and you're aware of their negative feelings. So their, their, their thought is, well, they understand me so well. They knew I was going to think that bad thing about them. Gives you freedom to say anything without fear of a negative reaction. Folks, this works. And I don't know where Kayla is. I don't see her face anymore. But when you can use an accusations audit on Chris Voss and it works, it can work on anyone. The guy wrote the book, for God's sake, and he responds to accusations audits. So when you can use an audit on the man and it works, you know you can use it anytime. Whenever you have to deliver bad news, 
whenever you're going to be able to ask something that you don't know you're going to be able to get from somebody, you want to point out all the negatives first about why they might not want to give it to you. And then you're going to ask for it in a very, you know, like, can I have this, you know, and then they're going to be like, oh, okay. You basically manipulate the other side. I mean, seriously, this is probably my favorite skill because no matter what you've done, you can audit it. And then you're going to give the information. They've already gone to worst case scenario. And then boom, when you put it out there, like, wow, okay, it wasn't as bad as I expected. Um, you can subvert those preconceived notions. If you're afraid someone is going to think you're too assertive, put that out there. You're going to think I'm the biggest bitch. And you know what? The more colorful you are with the audits, the higher you raise those expectations for that bad news. And then the further they fall when they realize that's not what they're going to get is the bad news. Okay. So you can label that away. If you're somebody who you feel you may be too emotional at times over certain things, you can put that out there too. And you can say, you know, you may think that I'm just too sensitive about this. It helps tame that label of them calling you too emotional. I don't know how many of you at some point in your life have been referred to as emotional or it must be that time of the month and you just want to punch somebody, right? I use that as an audit. You may think it's that time of the month for me. In other words, I'm about to come at you with some claws because it may be that time of the month for me and that's how you're going to feel. So I use that as my audit. And then they're like, "Ooh, okay, fear. Yikes, what's going to happen here? They're bracing for it. And then you're going to say yeah, I need $50 from you for whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, shoo, thank goodness. You raise it up and then pull it right back down. And they're like, oh, no, 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 ah, oh, relief. Okay, so use that audit. It does help to tame those labels, especially any label you're afraid you're going to get. You put it out there first in an audit and it's going to go away. So if you're somebody who has been accused in the past of being bitchy or assertive, you can come right out and say, this may come across as extremely assertive. You may think that I am just the pushiest person you've ever met. You put all that out there. That way they can't use it against you. You're going to mitigate that negative and it's going to get rid of those labels for you. It also softens that um, conversation. Yeah. There's this example um Aaron and Jessica just put forward an example of if you're with your boss, can you say something like, you may think I don't deserve this job or that I haven't worked hard enough to be in this role. Make it two separate audits. You and, and, and I would use feel for this because it's not going to be what they think or not. It's going to be that they feel you may feel like I don't deserve this job. And what was the next one? And um, that I haven't worked hard enough to be in this role. Okay. So you're going to make it two different audits. You may also think you can just think here that I haven't worked hard enough to be in this role. Remember, don't justify it. Don't explain it. Just let it sit there. And sorry, I said, I said, if you're in negotiating with your boss and they're saying that they are the boss talking to their, to who's under them, but I think it's oh. the same idea. Oh, um, the same idea or no. So, well, I'm uh, just say it to me again. My brain rattled for a yeah. second. So you're the boss mm -hmm. and you say, um, you may think I don't deserve to be. I oh, okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, be a little more explicit with it. You may feel like I don't, you know, I don't deserve to be in the supervisory position. I mean, put just very bluntly put it out there. And I don't remember the second one again. Um, I haven't worked hard enough to be in this role. Oh. You may also feel like 
I didn't work hard enough or as hard as I needed to, to be in this role. So yeah, anything you can say that people might be thinking that's negative and you put it out there first, it's going to mitigate it. So whatever you think that they're thinking, whatever meeting you're going into, whoever you're dealing with, whatever negative thoughts you, you know they have before you walk in the room, the first thing you say when you walk in the room is that accusations audit to just put all the negatives out of the way. Then it's, it's much, much easier for you to just get down to business at that point. And you know that you've already mitigated those negatives so you can move on. How do we come up with this list? The first rock to look under is simply what might you want to deny? And why is that important? Well, I'll start like this. It fascinates me how much about proper communication that most of us, if not all of us, already have built into us internally. And specifically in regards to this skill, all of us have either, have either done or heard a conversation that started with something along the lines of, I don't want you to think that I'm a jerk. I, I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you. I don't want you to get upset. I don't want you to think this is disrespectful. We do that because we know there's a really good chance that's how they're going to feel as a result of what we have to lay out for them. Unfortunately, when we say, when we phrase it as, I don't want you to think, not only are we denying that we're connecting ourselves to that negative thought, we're also the intention, the received intention behind that is, you are not justified in feeling this way. And again, us telling them that they're unjustified to feel it infringes on their autonomy. Like, I know you're probably going to feel it, but you, you know, you shouldn't know because lots of good reasons. One really slight two millimeter tweak, which is really what this skill is based off of is instead of the denial, we have to accept and acknowledge that it exists. And so a slide we're going to show shortly is how we phrase it. Instead of, I don't want you to think that I'm a jerk it's you're probably going to think that I'm a jerk or simply go all the way in with you will think that I'm a jerk. We got to acknowledge that the negative is there. We got to acknowledge that they have, they are in fact justified in thinking it when we deny it, it gets people's guard up. We've all felt the guard instantly go up when somebody says, I don't want you to think I'm disrespectful, right? We instantly are like, all right, here it comes. You're going to be disrespectful. And I'm already mad before you've even said what you got to say. And so this is why we phrase it like this. One of the things that makes this hard, in addition to the fact that it's very counterintuitive, especially to our natural communication, is your counterpart likely sees it as truth. And we likely see it as nonsense. And so it's much easier for us to start to articulate whatever negatives might exist if we accept the fact that we won't be able to rationalize it. And so this whole idea, right, this you can't handle the truth, right? Jack Nicholson here from A Few Good Men. 
this angry reaction of you can't handle the truth, that's what our counterparts feel when we show our own fear in the face of these negatives. What it shows as a communicator for us when we deny these things, when we don't take time to acknowledge them, when we tend to ignore them and hope that they go away, is it actually shows that we're fearful of them. And it's much harder to respect someone in the tough business world that we occupy now if the counterparts we're dealing with show fear of negative reaction. And so that's part of the reason why this is such a great way to build rapport rather than using common ground is because you show fearlessness in the face of potential problems and a true willingness and intention to make them go away so that we can move forward as a team. And so we start our list by what are the things that we want to take away their permission and authority to use against us? In addition, the ripple effect of that is when we lay it out, it shows a deep understanding on our side. It's not common ground. It does, in fact, lead to the trust-based influence. How do we become a trusted advisor? How do we become someone that when we say things, they genuinely take them into account? This is a great place for it to start. And this is our structure. There's several examples here. You probably think, you might think, you may believe. That's our basic structure. Another, another thing that's not on this list that's a great usage in the accusations on it is I would imagine. And so you're probably going to think that I'm a jerk. I would imagine that what I have to say is going to seem exhausting. You are going to feel like this is disrespectful. And then if it's money related, you can throw in and lastly, I'd imagine you're going to think that this is a money grab. That's a potential accusations audit you should use. We want to prep these in advance because they're very hard to come up with in the moment. We want to have them ready to go on the hip, ready to be fired when we walk into the room. And it usually takes you know, somewhere about between 10 and 15 minutes to come up with them. An exhaustive list is always better. And as far as the delivery method, sequencing them out, because you might come up with a list of 10, 12. In some cases with people that we've coached, we've gotten a list of 22. We got a list of 17 negatives that we want to address. Number one, don't leave any out. If you came up with a list of 17, the one that you leave off is going to be the one that comes back to bite you later on down the line. And then secondly, we want to rank them to a certain degree, but really we want to rank them just what's the, what's the worst or most important, and then what's the second worst or second most important. And the one that is second, that's the opener for our accusations audit. The one that's most important, most impactful, the biggest negative of the list that we have, that's the one we want to end with. And as you all know, the last impression is the lasting impression. We want the last thought in their head to be, wow, they really see the main crux of this issue. They really get the main part of my motivation and what drives my morals. And that's going to be their lasting thought in their head. As a boss, 
you are going to give direction that somebody on your team is going to have an issue with. You should assume that. If you're changing anything in the office, schedule, furniture, you know, client or patient rotation, I don't know. If you are going to change something, you're putting work on somebody's plate that doesn't necessarily have it right now. Those are the moments. If out of the 10 people, you know that, I don't know, you don't, you know that Sarah is going to have an issue with what I'm about to say. Accusations audit time. If you're talking with one of them in a performance review and you're going to, you're going to rate them as below requirements in any category, accusations audit time. In your personal life, family members, um, you got a you got a sister or a husband or a brother that's constantly asking you for money, and you're at your your you, your tolerance level has been reached. Accusations audit time. The general rule of thumb at the beginning, preceding bad news, preceding your ask, whatever the ask is. It doesn't really matter if you think that the ask is a, a, an easy lift. It's 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 something that. Um, you know, 90% of the people have signed off on. If you're making any kind of ask of anybody, by extension, you are putting work on their plate that does not already exist. And on some level, there's going to be resentment. Yeah, you're the boss. You say it, they're going to do it. Doesn't absolve you of the responsibility for softening the blow with an accusations audit. Troy, Sandy. Anything to add there? You can use accusations audits after you've done something to make someone mad too. <laughs> so say you had to change the schedule up and you have to go tell them, I just changed the schedule up. You've already done it. So it's not like you're doing it beforehand before you ask anything. At that point, you're doing it for forgiveness. So you can say, you, you may have noticed I changed the schedule. You probably are going to be inconvenienced by this. So just start thinking about any time someone could think anything negative of you or a situation or something that you've done, you can actually use an accusations audit to soften it. When you're afraid to say the, the, the accusations audit, when you're afraid to do that, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. When you least expect it, they're going to throw that audit in your face, especially the one that you didn't want to put in there. You think, oh, they're not going to think this about me or that's too harsh. I'm not going to put that one in there. I'm not going to say it. And as soon as you don't, when the time comes, they're going to use that one against you and you're going to wish you would have said it to help diffuse it. When you start to diffuse these audits, uh, the, the things that you're saying if, before the person can do that themselves, the counterpart. Just like Sandy said, you're going to hear, oh, I wasn't thinking that. Or if they do say, yeah, that's that's been the problem. Like the question about if you know that you did somebody wrong or 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 you gave them a bad product. And you when you address it, they're going to respect you more. They're going to see the honesty in you. They're going to say that person is 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 opening up to me. They're willing to to share. Things that most people won't talk about. When we came on today and we introduced ourselves, did we talk about the negative things in, 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 
about us or did we tell you all the positive things? 23 years, seven years as a negotiator, spent most of my time in specialized units, never talked about getting in trouble. <laughs> See, people want to tell you their, their good sides and people are going to think they they always think something bad about anybody you anybody can think something bad about you it may not be true and most likely it's not but if you don't put it out there and address it what we call the elephant in the room beforehand it's going to come back to bite you and it's one of the hardest things that most of the people that we do trainings with that's one of the hardest things for them to get past they go, oh I, oh, I came back and I did the labeling and the motion, I mean, the labeling and the mirroring, and I even did the dynamic silence, and oh, it worked so well. And we said, okay, but the, the training for this one was about uh, uh, accusations audit. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Why not? Why couldn't you do that one? Well, because that's I'm putting myself down. That's, that's sending a bad message. It's sending the wrong message to the counterpart, to the client. And they don't trust the system. Yeah, you uh, you have to make up your mind to use the skills that we're telling you to use without fear. Um, you know, which is like telling you if you're afraid of heights to go stand out on a balcony, you know, forty stories up, and you're like, well, okay, but but that doesn't work for me. <laughs> Trying it out is the only thing that's going to work. Low stakes practice. Try this stuff out in situations that. Um, it won't be the end of the world if it doesn't work out for you. Okay. Cashier at the grocery store. Um, you know, your, your family, something like that. Practice these in low stakes. I'm telling you, if you have a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, um, this is the best way to practice. Absolutely. The best way to practice because you throw an accusation out, audit out there and they're going to be like, Oh no, I wasn't thinking that. And you're like, Whew, okay. So, I mean, it, I'm, I'm telling you, those of us that have spouses have tried this stuff. My husband, before he knew what I was doing, he caught on eventually. Um, he fell for it every time. And then, and then he started kind of looking at me funny. And then he realized, cause we were both police officers. Then he realized it was a negotiation thing. And he was like, quit pulling that voodoo crap on me. Um, then he realized, but then I had gotten better at it so I could use it without actually structuring it the way he was used to hearing it. And so then I was still doing it anyway and he didn't catch it. So once you get better at doing it, the structures won't have to be so rigid. You'll be able to do it a little bit differently. It'll sound more conversational for you and it'll be much easier. I didn't want to pay $26,000. So when I reached out to them, they called me back and said, hey, Mr. Smith, what do you think? Can we get started? And I threw out the accusations on it. I said, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. You're probably not even going to want to do business with me. You may even say I'm a jerk. That I'm taking food out of your family's mouth. You're probably going to say, you know what? I wish we never even went to his house and you're going to want to lose my phone number. And they go, Mr. Smith, no, 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 no. We want to work with you. And they said, how can we do that? So they gave me permission to say what I needed to say. And that's when I told them, I said, $26,000 don't work for me. I said, I've run the numbers, I've crunched them. My wife and I have sat down and talked about it. And the best we can do at this time with feeling comfortable and not putting ourselves in the bind is $19,762.
And when I said that, the guy was so relieved that he says, we'll do it. And he had to stop and think about it. He goes, oh, uh, I mean, I mean, let me go talk to my manager, but I'm sure we can do that, Mr. Smith. Thank you. Thank you. And they were so excited about it not being more serious or worse news than they anticipated that they will, were willing to do it for $19,762. And that's exactly what they did it for. So if you let the accusation audits, if you're afraid of doing accusation audits, you're hurting yourselves. And finally, the R, the R is remember, we have to collaborate with each other. That's the key. You know, the counterpart is not the problem. The adversary, they're not the problem is the adversary. So you have to work together with the counterpart to come up with the solution. You want to be a teammate. You want to have a, help with the problem solving. And the only way you're going to do that is by remembering that they're not against you. You're not against them. The problem is what you have to work through. Just regarding the accusation audit, just to confirm. So it's, it's basically statements that you'd have to make in a way that you're, the other side just thinks that you're going to be, you, you throw them off the ledge in a way that, they're on the other side. They're thinking that man, he's going to speak something really bad. It's really terrible news. And then you give him your point of view and your the news that you want to actually throw to him. And then he thinks, okay, fine. It's it's not as bad as we imagined it to be. So is is it something like that? Oh, yeah, it, it, that's that's part of it. That that's part of it. When you when you're going to share bad news, set the bad news up, and it's never going to land as badly as they thought it was. Anytime you're going to ask them for something, set it up with an accusations audit. By the very by by the very nature of an ask, you are putting work on someone's plate that is not already there, which means you're inconvenient you're being inconvenient at that time. And yeah. you're causing work for them. That is something that most people don't want. Most people have enough work. They don't need you putting extra work on their plate. So regardless of how small or large the ask is, set it up with an accusations audit. And then use it at the beginning of your conversation to take authority and permission away from them from using the negatives against you as you move through the conversation. If you fail to do that, you allow a black hole type of vortex to exist in their thinking process. And while you're in a conversation with them, they're not listening. They're thinking about all those negative things that you didn't do anything with. And that's what's going to keep their um, attention. The first thing that we're going to work on is starting the conversation with the accusations audit. You start with your pleasantries. Hi, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then you launch into it. And I'm going to ask you to go all in. I'm going to ask you to be very deliberate in your construction of your accusations audit list. At bare minimum, you should be able to come up with six. Bare minimum. That's, that's, um, that's a ground ball, as they say in baseball, coming up with six accusations audit. Me personally, I want you to hit a home run with the accusations audit. The Grand Slam home run. That's what I want you to be aiming for. And so I'm going to tell you, go all in. Be robust. Be aggressive. 
think of every negative opinion, assumption, impression that they could have about you and put it on that list. Prepare yourself mentally to get through that entire list at the beginning of the conversation. If you come up with, I don't know, for example, 17, your mindset should be, I'm going to get through all 17 at the beginning. Okay, that's your mindset. The reality is you probably won't. The reality is they're probably going to stop you for one of two reasons, or stated reasons at least. They're either going to say, A, you're being too hard on yourself. I wasn't thinking those things. Or B, um, listen, I got other things to do today. Let's get down to brass tacks and let's talk about why we are in the room or on the phone together. Either way, you are in a good spot because the conversation now turns into the direction that you ultimately want it to go anyway. And it doesn't look like it's your idea. It's, it's their idea. Again, that whole notion, notion of protecting autonomy. Now, having said that, you come up with 17, they stop you at eight for one of those two reasons I just mentioned. That does not absolve you of the responsibility of getting those other nine in throughout the course of the conversation. You still have the responsibility to do that because they don't go away. Just because you haven't said them doesn't mean that they've gone away, that they don't need to be addressed. And if you don't address them throughout the course of the conversation, it's going to come back to haunt you. So the accusations audit is amazing because it gives you the freedom to do whatever it is that you needed to do or to ask or address whatever it is that you came in needing to ask or address. And so if you're concerned that, um, that this person already thinks that you're too assertive, right, already kind of has that preconceived notion about you, um, then you can just simply say, you're going to think that what I'm about to ask you is, is really assertive. You might say, um, you're going to feel really overwhelmed by what I'm about to ask you. Um, you might say if, if you're concerned that they're being, that you think that you're too emotional, that they think that you're too emotional. Um, you might say, you're probably going to think that I'm bringing emotion into this. Um, and so it helps if that person, you can tell that person already thinks that about you by addressing that dynamic, you're able to diffuse it. Um, there's a question in the chat that asked, well, what if, you know, what if this, that person didn't already think that, is this going to make it worse? Um, Sandy, yeah, I, I kind of want to hand that to you because I know you have a lot to say. <laughs> um, you can't plant a negative, okay? If they don't feel that way, they don't feel that way. You're not going to suddenly put that thought in their head, okay? Um, and even if you do, you're mitigating at the same time. So it's, it's not going to make it happen if it's not already there. So even if they're not thinking that whatever you're saying is going to be too expensive and you're saying, well, you're going to think this is so expensive. And they're like, well, I mean, they might be thinking money's no object. All they're going to do is just say, well, no, not really. And just go on with the next thing. You're not going to plant that negative. Okay. How you plant a negative is by saying, I don't want you to think I'm being picky, 
but I really don't like that shade of blue. Okay, you just, you, you threw it out there and what's the first thing they're gonna think when they hear, I don't want you to think I'm being picky. They're gonna think, oh, you're being picky. You know, I don't want you to be mad at me for doing this. So they know that whatever you're saying right now is gonna make them mad. Okay, that's the wrong way to do it. So you, you, you don't wanna do, that's, that's basically, um, that's the denial. You want to avoid the denial. You want to just point out the negative. You don't want to try and justify it or explain it. So just say, you know, you, you may think I'm being picky. I don't like that shade of blue. Instead of saying, I don't want you to think I'm being picky because that's telling them that they're going to be that way. Okay, you're not, you, that's not mitigating anything. That's actually raising it. So you want to be very careful that you word this correctly, but you cannot introduce the negative. If it's not already there, you're not going to make it be there because you're saying it. So don't be afraid of that. Okay. Um, Absolutely. Do you have more to say about that preconceived notions? Um, no, just that. Um, yeah, that essentially a lot of times we come into these situations kind of fearing like, well, that person already thinks this about me. How can I possibly talk to them about it? Or this person already believes that this isn't going to work. There's no convincing them. Um, it is shocking the power of what an accusations audit can do. It demonstrates self-awareness. It demonstrates um, it demonstrates concern and care for the other side. Because essentially, when you are giving the accusations audit properly, the way Sandy was talking about, um, then what you're saying, in essence, is I understand your experience right now. And I understand that I'm making this hard for you in some way. Um and so even if, you know, you're not really, because you're probably not being too emotional, or you're probably not being too assertive, um, that doesn't really matter because it's that person's experience. And so then we're able to subvert those preconceived notions, move on and continue to make a deal. What if you have like had a service issue or there's a reason it's not that they're thinking these things and their perceptions that you've actually screwed up or you've made somebody look bad. Um, so how would you, I mean, it's not like, it seems like you're mad at me because we made you look bad. It's like, we really made you look bad. So how Just do you like that. kind of. <laughs> Just like that, because if, if it's the elephant in the room is, you know, you screwed up. So you're going to think, you know, you're going to say, you know, you feel like we screwed up. You know, it, 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 it happened. You, we made a mistake. You apologize in there. Um, but whatever you want to do is don't live in denial land, because if you try to deny it and they know it's true, you're done with them. So um, instead of trying to say it doesn't exist or put fluff around it, you want to go ahead and throw it out there, you know, even not even you feel, but maybe, you know, I, I know you realize we screwed up. <laughs> I know you realize that this should have happened and it didn't happen that way. It happened this way. I mean, whatever negative thing you need to put out there because, and we'll get to this a little bit more on the next slide, but whatever negative thing is happening, if the other side realize that you're aware of it, that's going to get you brownie points because you're not trying to hide it. You're not trying, you're not trying to say, you know, well, you know, we may have messed up, but we're not going to say that because maybe they won't realize it. Well, don't be crazy. They realize that they know it from the very beginning. So if you try to hide it, it's just going to make you look bad and you're never going to get tactical empathy that way. And you're never going to get beyond bargaining that way because they're going to fight you every step of the way for the price because you screwed up before. So you want to put it out there. Okay. Make sense. Okay. Perfect.
When using the accusations on, is there an optimal time in a conversation? And then also, is it okay to use it multiple times? So quick answer to that uh, is yes and yes. For the accusations audit, ideally, that's how you want to start every conversation. No matter who you're talking to, that's generally how you want to start the conversation, especially if it's a subordinate. And the reality is, if you have to go back to a subordinate to negotiate something you already thought was agreed upon, trust me, there's an accusations audit that needs to be done. They are not executing what you thought they agreed to execute because there is something that is they, that is stuck in there. There's a thorn in their side that they feel like you as the boss, as the manager, has caused or ignored, which has gotten in the way of their execution. And so if that's the case, if that's the circumstance you're dealing with, you're going to have to lead with an accusations audit. And um, also, the, the additionally to that point, yes, it can be used multiple times. There's actually three places in the conversation where the accusations audit fits. It's always going to be at the beginning, before you make an ask, or before you deliver bad news. Those are the three places. The beginning, before an ask, before you deliver bad news. If you're talking to subordinate, chances are you're going to be delivering bad news or making an ask that they don't want almost every single time. And so, yeah, the accusations order drops in and you can use it in multiple places. Um, there's also kind of shortened, like one line versions of that that you can use before an ask. This is going to sound harsh. This is this is going to catch you off guard. This is going to seem like I'm picking on you. This is probably going to make you more upset at me than you already are. Right. Those quick one liners at the very least need to go before. Ideally, you got a more robust accusations order like what Derek was just speaking to. And then the other question I wanted to get to in regards to addressing the elephant in the room. Yes, thinking of the accusations audit as a way to address the elephant in the room is a great way to look at it. Um, based on the comment we got here, you know, and say, let's talk about this because it's best to address it now is a horrible thing to throw into your accusations audit. If, if you've got in the habit of, hey, these are the issues, let's talk about these issues now because it's best to get them out of the way, that's a, that's, there's a much better approach to that. Number one, saying these are the issues, let's talk about them, is not you describing their world to them. That's one of the real fine lines between the accusations audit and what can be agreed on as factual terms or problems. There's a real fine line. We want you to negotiate in their world. These are the things that you see as a problem. You probably feel like I've let you down as a boss. You probably feel like I haven't given you the support that you need. You probably feel like I haven't given you the fair shake. Those are the things that go into your accusations audit. Following that up with, let's talk about this so that we can get them out of the way now is actually a command. Your intention is to be collaborative. However, what that is interpreted as is I am your boss and now I'm directing you to talk about these things. You might want to talk about something else right now, but as your boss, I'm now directing you to talk about this specifically. And so now you've started to take away their autonomy in the conversation. You've now gone from being collaborative to combative. You are in fact fighting with them over what is going to be discussed right now as opposed to opening a door and allowing them to walk through it. It speaks to the sequencing that I talked about earlier. You want to rush in and solve the problem. 
That's 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 what we reward in, in the corporate world. You know, that's why you got promoted because you were a problem solver. It's all about sequencing, tactical empathy first, and then we discuss the 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 issues and how to fix them. Then we discuss the issues and what your expectations are. Then we discuss the issues and talk about future ramifications if X doesn't happen. Just don't be in a hurry to rush into that portion of the conversation. To ask. Um, so going back into the negotiation nine, um, how can real estate agents utilize accusation audits to get ahead of any negative sentiments their client might have? Okay, wonderful question. So an accusations audit is a it's a preemptive label, essentially. Um, it's an uncomfortable thing to do. We're gonna, it's going to sound crazy. Um, it's going to sound like I want you to shoot your clients and keep walking because that deal's not going to happen. But an accusations audit is actually calling out the elephant in the room. Any thought that they may be having about you or the dynamic uh, or the future, write them down ahead of time practice it and say it. We want to use accusations audits in the beginning. So it seems like, or I'm going to sound, this is, you're probably thinking, and I, I might uh, ask Derek to come in because you do a great job with explaining accusations audits. But in, in real estate, we come from, an, we're in an industry where people know that we're driving for yes, that a lot of agents are driving for yes, and they're afraid of that. They, you know, they know that there are agents out there that are going to, Give them bad advice to get the listing, um, the listing uh, contract signed. They know that they're working with agents that will, um, you know, do things that don't necessarily protect their best interest, and they're afraid of that. And so you need to say that. Um, I'm going to sound like I want you to put a ton of money into your house before you even sell it. I'm going to seem like uh, any agent out there that wants top dollar to do something that takes 30 days to do. Um, address those negative emotions because if you don't, they're going to come up later. And in doing that, you're actually, if you, if you throw out an accusations audit and listen, you're going to get way more information about what they're really concerned about that even sometimes is outside of the scope of the accusations audit that you gave. Um, uh, there's a wonderful agent out in California, and um, Chris did an interview with her. You all should listen to it. It's phenomenal. Um, Regina Vanicola. And um, she does a phenomenal accusations audit before even going into a listing agreement. And it's changed the way that she does business. She not sure... Listen to the interview. She does a phenomenal job of explaining how it's done in real life. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you want to yeah, touch on that. Yeah, sure. Thank, thanks, Marcella. It's uh, uh, Regina Vanicola, and the title of the uh, interview on the YouTube uh, on a YouTube channel is "Are You the Favorite of the Fool?" Um, 
Steve Schull and I interviewed her, and and this, you know, this accusations audit is just so liberating for agents, and even the phrase "I've got bad news." That in and of itself, the agents that are using it are are contending that is worth a million dollars because it gives you the ability to deliver bad news to your clients and gives them the chance to brace for it. And whatever they imagine in that three heartbeat wait between I've got bad news and you delivering the news, they're going to imagine something worse and what you have to share as an agent is going to be a relief. It's crazy. It works every time. And that's, you know, that's just a tiny dose of the accusations audit. It's just, it's, it's a spell from Hogwarts that changes everything in a moment. It's crazy. It's so true. And we can, we go through these transactions over and over again. We can think about, these accusations audits ahead of time before even getting to know the client. I mean, how many of us are in a market where we have clients that are losing deals to people paying 75000 over list all cash? We can do an accusations audit, you know, and, and um, so take the time to write down some audits ahead of time, whether it be for a listing appointment dealing with a new, a new client, a buyer that's working in, in, in a market that's stressful to get a home in, or a seller that is afraid of making the wrong decision. Um, just write down those audits and remember to use your tone. The tone is so important um, in the delivery of any of these messages. And, and what you're doing is... It's important to remember that the purpose of the accusations audit is to get out in front of those negatives. At the beginning of the conversation, this is the first conversation that you're having with a client, prospective client, whatever, however you want to phrase it. You're getting out in front of the negatives that you know are associated with every, almost every single transaction. You guys have been doing this long enough. You've heard the objections. You've seen where deals have fallen apart and the reasons why. That your, your accusations audit list is going to be a living and breathing document. It's going to constantly change because you're going to be constantly getting smarter. The, the ability to come up with an accusations audit, and that's just a, a list of the negative opinions, assumptions, or impressions that the other side has about you, who you represent, and the circumstance. You'll be able to figure it out. Generating your list is not going to be a problem for you. Where you're going to struggle is actually saying them. You're going to be scared to death. You're scared to death of running business off. You're scared to death that if they're not thinking that, I am going to plant that in their head and I'm going to lose the deal. Therefore, I ain't saying it. Well, I will tell you to reinforce what Marcella just said, because you haven't said it doesn't mean it's gone anywhere. It doesn't mean it's not still there. And so that's what clients in your industry are looking for. Mm -hmm. How do I separate myself from the commonplace? As Chris said, 
best practices become common practices. And now 50,000 new agents entered the, entered the business last year. All 50,000 of them look exactly the same. So as a client, how do I differentiate between who I want to work with? Well, for the client, the easiest way to do that is cut your commission. That'll help me decide. Mm -hmm. When the reality is, because of the negatives that are associated with this transaction, they want somebody who's transparent. They want somebody who is forthright. They want somebody who is a straight shooter. What better way to indicate to your prospective client that you're a straight shooter by telling them, this is probably all this negative stuff that you're thinking about me and this transaction. You're taking that negative light and pointing it back at yourself. How courageous is that? How selfless is that? How far is that going to separate you from the rest of the pack? Because I guarantee you, if you're working with a team of agents and you're the only one using accusations audits, you look entirely different than the rest of the members on your team. And people, we talk about the fear associated with this type of transaction. That fear is born out of uncertainty. And the more certainty you can inject into your interactions with your clients and potential clients and other agents, the less fearful they become. And it's encouraging reciprocity. And that reciprocity is you turning the tables on them and having tactical empathy forced back in your direction when you get to your objective, when you get to your ask, when you get to your case in chief. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to add on to that, Derek, these are difficult conversations and this isn't comfortable to do. Um, I like to liken the, the, applying these skills to difficult conversations to cleaning a wound. Right. It's not pretty. You're going to get sometimes a response that's uncomfortable for you, but you're getting you're getting information. You're allowing them to tell you their innermost thoughts and fears. And so if you get through that, you're going to it's like cleaning a wound. It eventually it eventually clears out and you get to um, form a relationship with them that's based and influence them through trust which is really the baseline to, um, to where these skills come from. I feel like this is, um, there's so much to talk about. Um, all right. And, and if there are crazy questions and I'm going to personally pay attention to the chat and I will direct questions your way so you don't have to feel overwhelmed or anything. Uh, I'm overjoyed right now. So, all right. We are too. This is cool. Super cool, super cool. We're live. I think we're live everywhere. Perfect. Wow. Um, all right. So, Chris, Derek, Brennan, if you don't mind, I'm just going to kick it off and uh, let's have some fun. All right. Yeah. Yay. So, hi, everyone. This is Fable from Face World. I am seriously overjoyed right now. I'm so happy, a little bit nervous. Uh, this is the first webinar I'm doing not only with Chris, but the A-team, Brendan Voss, I had a pleasure to interview once before, and Derek Gaunt, whose book I'm listening right now on Audible. I've been doing that for a week, and Chris, I've met several times in person, in my documentary, my favorite masterclass on masterclass. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, in fact, I know somebody among the audience member participants right now watch your masterclass twice already. So, yeah, and everybody. I heard, you know, and speaking of Derek's book, I heard that the guy that read it has a lisp. Is that true? 
I was I was telling Derek he has such an incredible voice. I thought, you know, are you like an, you know, like an opera singer or something with such a, like such a voice I love listening to. It's so easy. Not the case with every author. It's one of the many things that I hate about him, how good it is. <laughs> All right, guys. So in case you're not familiar with their work, I, you know, I know everybody who's attending this webinar is pretty much. But um, if you're watching this on social media, on my YouTube channel, Facebook, uh, I don't know, Twitter, well, they, you know, Chris founded the Black Swan Group, uh, this company I've been following for a long time. I love, love the blog section. They have a wonderful services section as well. A lot of my colleagues, people I'm connected with on LinkedIn everywhere, have attended their live workshops and they're absolutely in love with this. And I'm such, a, this is such a privilege to have the entire team here. And um, uh, so we're going to kind of freestyle. There are a lot of questions. Thank you guys for submitting them. We'll go through them for the first 40 minutes. And if you guys have more questions, we'll leave, you know, 15, 20 minutes in the end. And, um, and just so you guys can drop more questions in the chat. So welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having us. I appreciate the, uh, the invite. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. I'm going to throw the first question out there. Everybody's desperate in uh, just asking this question because I notice you have uh, this audience has a lot of discipline. Everybody is trying to practice negotiation on a regular basis. And the first challenge since the pandemic earlier this year is that people sort of lost touch with that daily practice. They really want to know like how I, I saw examples, how to negotiate at Starbucks, how to negotiate with a, a travel vendor or agency. But what's your advice right now in the pandemic that people can continue to hone in on their skills and practice their negotiation skills at home? Well, you know, we use it with everybody we communicate with. We use it with each other. I mean, one of the questions that we all get a lot is, you know, what if you're up against a black swan trained negotiator? You know, and, and that's fine. I mean, you know, Brandon asks me all the time, is, this, is it a ridiculous idea? Uh, you know, are you against? Um, Derek asked me all the time, I can't believe how stupid you are. Stuff like that. I mean, we're... <laughs> Sorry. It's going to be one of those days. But, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Am I crazy? No, and no, I, I think you're, you're right on the money. I mean, we every opportunity to communicate is an opportunity to practice. And, you know, as of late, one of the ways we've been directing people is... If you're still paying utilities, right? You got utility bills. Those are great people to call up and, and use your skills on and, and get your bills down, right? That's one perfect way to practice. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing is the foundation, where this stuff came from, the world of hostage and crisis negotiation. 95% of the jobs that we did were on the phone. We weren't having we didn't have contact physical contact with the people that we were dealing with so the fact that people are out of their normal environments and they don't have that regular human to human contact should not diminish the opportunities that they have to practice the skills via zoom calls or via regular phone calls the environment has just changed slightly but this is the, all of our stuff is predicated on hostage negotiation and we were rarely ever face to face mm. yeah my I love that. Thank you for clarifying. So everybody who's watching, you know, start negotiating, start practicing right away. And, you know, there's one question I love, which came from uh, Adam, which is, 
which are the skills that you teach? Uh, do people generally find most difficult to learn, and why? Uh, you know, I'm I'm actually kind of curious to hear what Derek has to say on this because I got a couple of ideas. Derek, you know, what what's, what's your perspective? Uh, I think you know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the accusations audit. Yeah. Hands down, the most effective skill that we have, the most potent, the most powerful, hands down, the most difficult to absorb and execute simply because when you talk about the black swan skills being counterintuitive and being awkward, um, the accusations audit is awkwardness on steroids and because you're pointing a negative light back at yourself. And when you point a negative light at yourself, you're making yourself uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, what you want more than anything else is to be comfortable again. So that's where we find a significant amount of the pushback is with the accusations audits because it's hard to take that negative light and point it at yourself and saying, this is what you're probably thinking about me. And it's all negative stuff. And so getting people to overcome that discomfort and execute anyway is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, Good point. Yeah, I, there's nothing Derek said that I would disagree with. However, I'm going to give you the classic negotiator's answer as far as what's <laughs> hardest to learn. It depends. <laughs> and a lot of it just depends on the individual. And so if you're part of the group that has read the book and have started trying to execute on your own, the thing that really is like the sticking point is probably the accusations audit. Right, if you're a novice and you're just getting into it and you're just starting to learn, people really struggle with labels and, and really on the side of executing them at their highest degree. You know, like surface labels are, are pretty easy for people to wrap their mind around. Seems like price is important to you, right? But being able to construct a label that actually identifies the motivation behind how they got to this price point, that's a little bit more difficult. Labeling things that aren't actually said in the negotiation you know, is 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 tough. It's 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 a, it's a hard thing, and it, again, just takes practice. But yeah, it, you know, it depends. It depends on what, who they are, or how how much knowledge they have, and and what they deal with. Yeah, Chris, do you want do you want to add anything else? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, so much on it depends. You know, situation drives strategy, like Brandon likes to say. Where are you in your journey? Mm -hmm. um, labels uh, one of the first things to get over the hump with. You, you get to labels and depending upon how comfortable you are with calling out negatives and then being proactive. And that, that leads right into the accusations audit, you know, the fear of that. I mean, probably the fear there is the biggest. That, the, mm -hmm. That's the single biggest fear-based obstacle there. And simultaneously, if you're getting good at labels, making a jump from labels into summary is hard. Because, you know, we're, and we teach people really hard, you know, to go silent, to go dead silent. We used to call it effective pauses and never split the difference. Book we got coming out collaboratively, Brandon and I and a couple of other people are working on um, in, in the spring. It'll be out late spring, early, early summer. Um, we're changing effective pauses to dynamic silence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting people to go dead silent. Like some people feel like they're going to burst into flames before they could go dead silent. Well, then if we get you there, then we want to teach you summary. And summary is firing everything. Summary is just letting go with everything. And that's no dead silence at all. 
So it's kind of, where are you in your journey? And each, each step of the way is going to take you to a new level of the game. You know, it's, a, it's like a game. And, uh, and it's all fun. As soon as you embrace how much fun it could be, it's really cool. Hmm. So funny. My friend, uh, Michael O'Brien, also part of my mastermind group, really likes Brendan's jacket, first of all. I think he looks exceptionally handsome today. Um, hey, 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 thank you. Oh, hey, sorry, Chris. You are... <laughs> Take it easy. Um, and uh, I agree, silence is the toughest thing for me to practice, as well as for, for Michael there. Um, I remember going through an exercise as part of Alt-MBA uh, by Seth Godin. And I remember that before we respond to anything, we have to count to five seconds or three seconds they felt like hours um how it was very awkward uh, a lot of resistance so how do you practice like how do you give yourself that patience oh that's your brain well I, you know it's a similar philosophy you know we, we talk about people counting mississippis or counting one thousands but exactly to your point i mean it's creating an intentional void in the conversation is difficult to sit in and that's really what it's designed to do if you set up your dynamic silence properly ideally it, re it reveals a black swan at the same time but that's that's exactly that is very hard and counting is is one of the great mechanisms to kind of keep yourself in your chair mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very hard i mean i remember the, since the pandemic like washing your even wash your hands while saying happy birthday those 15 20 seconds just feel so long when you actually measure it. So Wait, you, what do you do when you wash your hands? What do you sing? <laughs> are you supposed are we supposed to all sing happy birthday like two times <laughs> to make sure that <laughs> it's 20 seconds? Um, <laughs> yeah, I am so proud. I have such a huge smile on my face because my next door neighbor, Eric and Laurel also watching this and uh, Laurel submitted a ton of questions, one of which I was thinking, wow, it's it's true. I mean, I can unfold that question into many parts, especially as as a woman, as women. It's sometimes when you negotiate for yourself is particularly difficult, whether it's negotiating time to be doing your own work on your own projects so that your kids need to kind of hang out on their own, especially during the pandemic or negotiating for your own for a promotion for a raise. A lot of women left comments to say that is particularly challenging. Do you have any tactics to kind of go about that and, and the mindset of negotiation? Yeah, I'm thinking this this one's Derek. I mean, he's he's doing a lot more of the individual coaching than anybody else is right now. So, um, Derek, what do you think? Problematic is many women get in their own way. Their 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 mindset is such that they create obstacles that aren't really there. Some of the best negotiators on my previous team back in my law enforcement days. I don't know if you can see this. So I got some of their pictures up on the wall. The, the top three negotiators on my team were all women. And once you get over the fear of failure, the sky's the limit. And that's what made these three, because let's, let's face the facts. There are terrible negotiators on both sides of the gender coin. Um, it, but these these three women were not afraid to fail. They took what was taught to them and they went out and they executed. And 
let the consequences be whatever they are. And those are going to be the most successful negotiators, regardless of what side of the gender coin they're on. Are you fearless? If you're fearless, you'll go out and apply. You stumble, you chalk it up to experience and you move on. And, and once you, once you get that mindset, the game changes for you. Once you stay in the position where you are genuinely curious about what's going on with the other side. And that's another skill trait characteristic that they all had. They, they were genuinely curious. They wanted to know more. They went into the conversation, assuming they had something to learn. And so that is how I would encourage you to look at every difficult conversation, every negotiation. And that goes across the board. It doesn't matter if you're man or woman, stay genuinely curious. If you stay genuinely curious, your fear factor will diminish rapidly and you will be able, you'll have, your mind will be more open to seeing the entire landscape from the other person's perspective. I feel very excited, but also very comfortable at the same time. I, you know, when, when people are asking me that you're going to be on the call with three, you know, professional negotiators and interviewing them, there is part of me, to be honest, Derek, I'm thinking, like, I really try not to sound like a complete idiot, like during this, am I even qualified to be talking to you? I read Chris's book two years ago, should I go back and study some of those elements? They're definitely a lot of self-doubts um, that comes with that. But like you said, if I just relax and knowing that I'm here to learn, I'm not here to be an expert. Um, that definitely feels a lot better. Um, there's, there's an added question, actually two questions coming in already. Um, so a lot of us, a lot of people working in corporate right now, and by the way, you're just joining the, this webinar. I want to say that th this conversation will help you on a personal, professional and organizational level. So we're going to answer questions, uh, really on, on this whole spectrum, this scope. Um, so another question is that we find ourselves on the phone all the time and that's why i named this virtual leadership it's very different kind of leadership and engagement with your audience um, or with your colleagues so um you know for example it's uh, laurel found herself to have to slow down when she speaks to uh, someone whether it's a customer or maybe her colleagues um, whose first language is in english there's a time difference um, you know, she has to pace down among the team. Uh, she finds it that it can be hard when one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations where you feel like there's a lot of silence and you have to fill in the blank. What would you recommend for that? I see you smile, Brian. Well, there's, there's a couple. I got a lot of things coming to mind. And, and you know, I just I want to jump back into the mindset thing just real quick, take a couple steps back. I think where people in general tend to kind of lose themselves is when you go into a negotiation hoping things go well. And the mindset needs to be expecting problems, 